Hey, this is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the My One Two Three Cents Podcast. It's my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me the hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. Hey friends, welcome to episode 442 of the My One Two Three Cents podcast. I am Kevin Huntsperger. I appreciate you joining and supporting. Uh, I've gotten some... Uh, positive affirmations and messages after last week's episode, um, you know, with with my decision to leave Stride Pro Wrestling and kind of going more into those details. So everyone who messaged me um, either through social media or texted me or, or just talked to me in general, uh, I, I appreciate it. It really means a lot. And, you know, over the weekend on Saturday was uh, the Stride Show uh, Mayhem happening uh, in Marion, and it looked like they had a, a great show, and I heard some some good things about th- the, the way things went down, so I'm uh, happy, uh, to, again, to see Stride continuing to thrive and, and do well, and I wish everyone with the company uh, nothing but the very best and, and hoping uh, to make it out and, and watch a show or two in the future. So I know that things are... I believe there's a show coming up on June 2nd. I think they're going to try to do the first Saturday of every month. So, again, check out the Stride uh, Facebook page and and uh, keep up to date with what is happening with Stride Pro Wrestling. <clears throat> this week, though, uh, kind of going a little retro, and, and I'm trying to... I, I've got some... Actually, Ken Johnson, who uh, is going through and listening to all of the episodes, and I, I'm not, he's not anywhere near this episode, but he may jump ahead and listen to this, so if he does, I want to do a shout out to him and thank him for his kind words and message and, and some ideas, uh, programming ideas for the show, and um, actually threw one out there that I really liked a lot, so if I'm able to execute that and pull it off, uh, w- once it happens, Ken will get uh, the full credit uh, for the suggestion and the idea. So, uh, but, uh, in the meantime, I'm going to work on making that happen. But this week, uh, you know, over the weekend, and I didn't even realize this was happening, but over the weekend was the coronation of, uh, King Charles over in London and, uh, his wife, Camilla, which I, you know, I thought with the the whole way the, the monarchy went because, you know, we had Queen Elizabeth for so long and then her husband was, was known as Prince Philip. I didn't understand 
and I still don't understand. And so if you're a royal watcher, maybe you can explain it or, or message me and let me know. But I thought it was odd that Camilla is now Queen Camilla. And what happens then if something happens to Charles? Does she get booted out as queen and uh, the eldest son, who I think is Prince William, then becomes the king? I don't know. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the real royalty. We're going to talk more about the wrestling royalty, wrestling with royalty and some of the kings and kings of the ring and kind of the concept, the ideas behind it, uh, you know, taking real life events kind of motivated me. And and as I was thinking about it over the weekend, because there were a couple of topics or issues that I was going to hit on, uh, you know, Saturday marked the 39 year anniversary of Kerry Von Erich beating Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And Kerry Von Erich, when I was a kid, he's the one, it was actually Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair in Dallas two years earlier uh, at the Sportatorium uh, Steel Cage match that first hooked me as a pro wrestling fan. Um, and so then, you know, a year and a half later, Kerry beats Flair for the championship. But since next year is going to be the 40-year anniversary of that, I think I'm going to wait and try to do a deeper dive into that. I know I've talked about it before on on the YouTube channel, and I think Travis Yates and I actually did a show together here on the Von Erichs. But uh, I want to do a a bigger, more expansive show on Kerry Von Erich uh, next year, so May 6th. 2024 will mark the 40-year anniversary of Kerry winning the gold, the NWA gold, and and we'll talk more about that. So that was one idea that I was going to do uh, this weekend for or for this week's episode, um, and then I was also going to try to convince my daughter to do a podcast with me because it's five years this week that uh, Roger Mathis gave her that big power slam in Stride Pro Wrestling that led to me and Roger Mathis having a steel cage match. Uh, The anniversary, the five-year anniversary of that match is coming up later this month, so uh, may touch more on that actual match coming up uh, in just a little bit here on the podcast. Wait and see uh, what all goes on over the next couple of weeks, busy couple of weeks with work, with graduation coming up, and all kinds of other stuff going on. But uh, I'm saying all that to say that uh, the topic that I finally settled on was after discovering the coronation of King Charles... Uh, of doing something on wrestling royalty. And I discovered, because I try to share, I think I've shared most of, not all of, but I think I've shared a lot of the YouTube videos that I did in the past. Um, You know, I was able to get interviews lined up with different wrestlers through the years and put them on YouTube. This was before I had the podcast. And so uh, through the years, I've tried to put some of those onto the podcast. And I didn't realize it, but Jerry the King Lawler, who I interviewed back in 2013, so 10 years ago, you're going to hear more from the King later on this podcast, and it's a quick interview, uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about that and and how it all came to be. Um, You know, Jerry Lawler, this is right after his heart attack on Raw, so when we talk about his health issue, it's not the stroke that he is currently recovering from, so again, this is a 10-year-old interview, Um, and it's short and sweet, but... uh, I knew the King was coming to Metropolis, Illinois for the Superman celebration, which is actually happening coming up next month in June here again in Southern Illinois. And I think the King was here last year. He's, he's made trips here to the Superman celebration several times since, uh, this interview took place 10 years ago, like I said, but at that time I knew Burt Prentice, uh, the late 
Bert Prentice, who was a promoter for USA Championship Wrestling that aired on WSIL, where I worked um, for 15 years. And so I had kind of struck up a friendship of sorts with Bert, and he actually uh, helped me and uh, Chad get into WrestleCon. Gosh, I'm trying to think of what WrestleMania was. I think it was WrestleMania, uh, the one in New Orleans back in 2014, um, he hooked me up with Mickey James that, at that, not, got me in to meet Mickey James and get a picture with her. Uh, but he also is responsible for getting me an interview with Mickey James that I did on the YouTube channel. Might've been one of the very first wrestling interviews I ever got, um, outside of the Miz. Um, and then of course the ones that I did when I worked in Alabama, but Mickey James was in Southern Illinois doing a fundraiser event back in 2011 and Bert helped me get that set up and arranged. And if I haven't, and I don't know that I have shared that interview here on the podcast, but we'll have to look and see. But, uh, so I've got that going on. And then of course, um, you know, I was able to, uh, talk to Bert and he, because I'd interviewed Jerry Lawler a long time ago, and I didn't save it because this was long before I even thought about doing a podcast, but I had interviewed him for the news station that I was working at at the time. He was coming in at Rent One Park, which was the Miners, Southern Illinois Miners played there, but he was coming in for some special event, um, not wrestling, but he was you know, coming in to promote and, and do something. And so uh, I was able to interview him on the phone, and that one was a really quick interview. But uh, so I, I reached out to Bert, and he made the arrangements, and I was actually able to go to Metropolis. And that this day ended up being a very long day. It was a Friday. I was anchoring the morning show at WSIL. So did the show, did the cut-ins and all that good stuff, drove down to Metropolis, which was is about an hour away, um, had my time to go around and, and get some, cause I, they ended up wanting me to do a story while I was down there on Superman celebration. So I shot my video for all of that, did my interview with Jerry Lawler, which I think we used a snippet of that for the news, but then the rest of it was for me. Uh, but again, it's only about four and a half minutes long. So when it plays a little later here, it, it, it is short and sweet. Cause I didn't want to, I always feel like I'm impeding on these wrestlers time. And especially because this was part of, or right before he was getting ready to kick off the meet and greet. So there, you know, there were people that had paid to be there to meet him and, and do all that stuff as well. So I didn't want to take up too much of the King's time, but uh, I got in some good questions. I think I just went back and listened to it again. And I, I think it, it, it still is a pretty solid interview that holds up. Obviously there's been a lot that has happened with the King in the last 10 years that I would love to talk more more to him about, and maybe one day that will happen. But uh, for now, that will be the interview that you'll hear at towards the end of this week's episode, because I do want to talk more about other uh, wrestling royalty. But, uh, you know, Jerry the King Lawler, um, you know, so anyway, I I ended up shooting that interview, and then I had to get back to the station um, to anchor the five o'clock news, the the five o'clock anchor was off that night. And so I was filling in for him as well. So it ended up being like a I don't know, probably 15, 16, 17 hour day. I don't remember what it, the total amount of time from start to finish ended up being, but it was a long ass day. And I remember being dead tired, but I remember loving it because of getting that opportunity to meet Jerry Lawler. So, uh, that, that was the first time we'd met in person. Obviously, like I said, I talked to him on the phone prior to that, but, uh, again, Burt Prentice, uh, no longer with us, but, uh, 
he was able to get me set up with uh, several of the wrestling interviews that I was able to do over the last uh, decade or so. So I, I am appreciative and grateful uh, to have known Burt Prentice so many years ago. And, and again, uh, very happy for that. But, you know, Jerry Lawler, for me, the memories go back to the after mags, really, because in St. Louis, where I grew up, we didn't get Memphis TV, obviously. So uh, and this was long before YouTube or the internet or anything like that. So I was reading about Jerry Lawler before I was actually seeing him. And I can remember like sometimes he would show up in some clips on Central States Wrestling. Um, so I, you know, had a very limited knowledge of of him. But then, you know, really when he comes into the AWA, wins the the championship there from Kurt Hennig. And, uh, you know, at that by that time, I believe AWA was syndicated on ESPN, and I was watching that after school uh, when I'd get home from school. And his feud in the AWC or the World Class Championship Wrestling, you know, going against Kerry Von Erich and unifying those belts and all that. And I remember feeling that Kerry got robbed uh, because, again, I was a huge Kerry Von Erich fan. But, you know, Jerry the King Lawler has obviously proven himself. And I know that he's had some controversies in the past and, and whatnot. But, just looking at it from a, a you know, separating the person from the uh, personality in the ring, I, you know, Jerry Lawler, one of the all-time greats, and I uh, am grateful to have been able to meet him, interview him, talk to him, and, and, and had that opportunity, and definitely one of the top kings, you know, there are a lot of men who have worn that crown and, and called themselves king, and I think that and I don't, I should have looked this up before we started, but, uh, I don't know if he's the original King, the first King, but he's definitely, uh, if he's not the best King, he's definitely in the top, uh, four or five would definitely be on my Mount Rushmore of Kings. Probably though, the one that, uh, the one King that I really loved a lot was the macho King, Randy Savage. And, you know, WWF, Let's backtrack a little bit, and again, I'm going off of mostly memories of a you know teenage kid here, so bear with me. I, I don't have my computer back here. I'm not reading Wikipedia, but from what I can remember, you know, WWF really didn't. They did some King of the Ring tournaments, you know, back in like '85 ish, and I think Tito Santana won one, Don Morocco won one. Um, we saw some other superstars winning those, but they never were on TV, and they, it obviously was way before the pay-per-view event itself. But they would, uh, you know, do these as house shows and and whatnot. And it really wasn't until 1986 when Harley Race came to the World Wrestling Federation, which was a huge shock. Seeing someone from the NWA, someone who was so entrenched in the NWA, uh, coming into the WWF. And so I remember that being a big surprise. And of course, uh, and I don't know if he, he immediately came in. I don't remember his debut, of, if he was already the king when he started, but it wasn't long that he was there that he became the king Harley race and was managed by Bobby Heenan. And of course did uh, uh, probably two or three years there as, as the king uh, before wrestling King ha or wrestling Haku, who was at one time King Tonga um, as part of the Islanders, and then just became Haku. But uh, then wrestling against Harley Race at the 1989 Royal Rumble, 
Haku becomes the new king. And so then it became like the king title was, uh, or the king's crown and whatnot was almost like a title up for grabs. It wasn't always defended because obviously Harley Race had lost other matches before wrestling Haku. But I remember in 86 going to a WWF show at uh, the Kiel Center in St. Louis. And it was was billed as a King of the Ring tournament. It was a one-night tournament. Uh, In the final... The main event that night was Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, but this was during the the heat of their feud, the height of their feud after Orndorff turned against Hogan. But the the end of the tournament, the end of the King of the Ring tournament, was Harley Race beating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and Harley Race was the King of the Ring then um, that night. And I, you know, I'm sure they did this at house shows all across the country at the time. So Race was, you know. On TV, wrestling as the king, of course, loses the crown then to Haku at the Royal Rumble. And then, and I don't know the exact dates here. Like I said, I, I'm not looking, but uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I loved King Duggan. And, and Duggan, one of the few, one of the very few babyface kings. And it worked. I feel like it worked for him because he was so, you know, he had feuded with Harley Race. He had feuded with uh, Haku and, and won the crown. And it was just kind of so... Um, you know, out of place, if you will, as the king, you know, you didn't expect this uh, two by four swinging American flag waving, uh, you know, tough guy basically to be the king. And that I think that's why it worked. And that's why I enjoyed it so much. But then, of course, Macho King Randy Savage takes over and, and beats Duggan. I believe that was in September of 89. And I loved the combination of uh, Randy Savage as the Macho King and Sensational Queen Sherry. You know, Sherry had just started managing Savage uh, right after WrestleMania Five, so it had been a few months. But she uh, she really came into her own as Sensational Queen Sherry, and I, and I feel like that was a role that was better served for her than than Elizabeth would have done in that. And that's not a a, a uh, diss to Miss Elizabeth by any means, but I, I just feel like Sherry really got involved. And that was really the first time that I can remember, other than Moolah being in Harley Race's corner at WrestleMania 3 against the Junkyard Dog, where there was like a, a, a queen acknowledgement, if you will. Because um, I don't know that Lawler ever had a quote-unquote queen. And, and, and Lawler, for a long time, was the babyface in Memphis and was the king of wrestling there. Um, so the king, you know, the title king, other than Duggan and I think Xavier Woods here most recently, I don't know that there have been, and then, uh, you know, obviously Bret Hart winning the King of the Ring tournament that first year. I don't think there were any other babyface kings. Now, of course, someone will probably prove me wrong here along the way, but um, so, you know, big props to Macho King Randy Savage, and he really kind of did that whole thing all through 1990 then and, and into 1991 when he um, used that scepter to split the head of, of uh, the Ultimate Warrior at the 1991 Royal Rumble and what led to Warrior losing the belt to Sergeant Slaughter. And then, of course, I think he was still even billed as the Macho King at that retirement match at WrestleMania Seven, where he lost to the Warrior. Um but I just loved that whole look with him. You know, he he changed his look. I'm looking at a picture right now. The crown, 
you know, him and Sherry, the, the regalness of it all, it just, it really, really worked. And I'm going to jump way ahead and spin off of the crown that I'm talking about that Randy Savage is wearing. And Matt Cardona, you know, he is the uh, deathmatch king, if you will, now. And he's got that replica crown, and, and he's really embraced it. I know but he's a big Macho Man fan and has talked about that on, on the Wrestling Figure podcast, the Major Wrestling Figure podcast. So I just want to acknowledge him as well. Uh, but, you know, through the years, WWF went in with the King stuff and, and did the first King of the Ring pay-per-view tournament um, in 1993. Bret Hart wins that. The next year it's Owen. Uh, then we get King Mabel, and that's where I feel like things kind of went off course you know, Brett never really embraced the King after, because he gets attacked, of course, by Jerry Lawler. That leads to a feud against the King. So there wasn't really a, a King Brett, if you will. Now, King of Hearts, Owen Hart, stuck, stuck around for a bit. And, you know, he had the the regal look and, and added it to his tights and all of that good stuff. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, Austin wins it, but of course doesn't do the scepter or the crown or any of that. And, and I didn't think that really fit with him. Triple H was kind of the same way when he won it a year later in 97. Um, 98, I believe it's Ken Shamrock that wins, which was a surprise because, again, it was typically that heel that was was winning it. And they were going on to, to something else. You know, Bret Hart, of course, goes back and, and wins the championship again. Uh, when Owen wins it, he goes on to feud and wrestle against Bret Hart in the main event at SummerSlam, um, and then doesn't uh, quite uh, come come up successful of, of winning the gold. Um, Mabel, well, that speaks for itself. We saw him wrestle uh, against Diesel at SummerSlam, but you know Austin obviously got propelled. Triple H got propelled. Kenny Shamrock really kind of just stayed where he was. Um, other kings of the ring, Kurt Angle, which he went on for great dominance. Brock Lesnar, the same thing. Edge won the king of the ring. So it, it was a, a launching pad. Billy Gunn maybe an example of, of not really going to the top of the mountain with WWF. So it's it's got a, a history, not necessarily a reputation, but there is a history there of, of some of the king of the ring winners going on to bigger and better things. But in more recent times, Xavier Woods, uh, of course, King Booker and Queen Charmel. That was another great combination there. I loved that. I think WWE has talked about doing another king of the ring tournament and queen of the ring, which Zelina Vega, who had a great showing at uh, the show in Puerto Rico over the weekend at Backlash. So uh, I, I just feel like for me personally, I, I prefer the championship, the King of the Ring tournament itself to be a one, one and done, you know, uh, one night, I, I, any tournament really, you know, I feel like tournaments have kind of, people are either loving them or hating them. Um, I know they did the Owen Hart tournament on, uh, on AEW and it was so spread out and WWE has done it with the King of the Ring tournament too and the Queen of the Ring where they have qualifying matches and then they have matches here and there and on these shows and that shows and uh, to me my favorite tournaments were the ones that you know the WrestleMania 4 tournament the Survivor Series 1998 tournament you know it was a one night tournament and we got a winner that night and we you know there was no waiting around for it and I I would prefer going back to that style 
uh, with the King of the Ring if they're going to do that. Don't do, I don't even necessarily want the qualifying matches. Just give me eight competitors, eight men for the King, eight women for the Queen, and let's do it. Uh, you know, I'm looking again, Baron Corbin. I posted this on the My One Two Three Cents uh, Facebook group. So check that out and, and weigh in. Leave your comments, make posts. Uh, I want that to become an interactive community, so please be sure to check that out. Uh, Wade Barrett, I thought he made a good king. Um, and then uh, Stephen Regal, you know, or uh, William Regal, I guess, when he was in the in the WWF. Uh, another great king. So I'm curious, who are your favorite kings? I, you know, I, I know I've probably missed a couple along the way. There have been a lot uh, of kings in wrestling, so... Uh, I, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your one, two, three cents on your favorite kings of the ring. Uh, not just necessarily the tournaments, but uh, anyone else that I missed that maybe had the king moniker uh, somewhere along the way. And if I was wrong about Jerry Lawler being the first king, I, again, I don't really remember. Uh, you know, in stride, we had King Chris Hargis there for a little bit, and I, I enjoyed that. I, it's 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 interesting to me because I always think about how and really what prompted this whole idea again was the coronation of Charles and how much my news feed was inundated with my friends on Facebook, my friends on Twitter who um, were were talking about the coronation. I mean, I I have a friend who is over there right now and had tweeted pictures and stuff that, that was going on. So it's America's obsession with the royals. I always found to be fascinating because it was even when the royal weddings were happening and the royal divorces and the royal this and the royal that. So we're obsessed with it. You know, we don't have really anything like that here. So I, I, it, it's interesting to me. And so uh, I guess WWE has leaned in on that as well from the sports entertainment side of things to get that king and queen, that royal feel going on here for us. So again, I look forward to hearing from you all. Please weigh in. Let me know. Uh, leave a review of the show as well, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and and let me know really some ideas, suggestions, things that you want to hear that you don't want to hear maybe on the show, and uh, I'll take everything definitely into consideration. Stay tuned now for Jerry the King Lawler. Again, this is just about a four and a half minute clip, and uh, that interview is going to come to a close, and we will uh, wrap things up for the week. So, friends, thank you so much for listening. Now, stay tuned for Jerry the King Lawler lifelong Superman fan and of course this is a Superman celebration combined with the 75th anniversary of the creation of you know the Man of Steel so that's why I'm here I've, I've wanted to be a part of this Superman celebration for years but my schedule has just never worked out but uh, uh, I, I was able to make it this time and I'm really excited about it gotta ask you how you're doing health-wise uh, we know you had quite a medical scare there yeah I did uh, but ago. actually I'm doing completely it's, it's like a complete recovery I've, uh, I've just had the final clearance about three weeks ago from my doctors to go back to doing anything I was doing beforehand, which included wrestling. I even asked the doctor, I said, can I play tennis now? And he said, sure. And I said, I never could before. But anyway, it's, uh, every, everything's really good, you know, so it's, it's, it's fine. As a lifelong fan of wrestling, I, I've got to tell you that back in 92 when you walked onto the set of Primetime Wrestling, a WWF program, because I'd seen you, of course, right. in Memphis in the AWA world class, and I was stunned. I was shocked. So tell me how that all worked out. And of course, now 20 plus years later, you're still with the WWE. Yeah, I was sort of stunned and shocked at the time as well, because I had been um, uh, 
a bitter rival of the WWF at the time because it was it was seemed as if they were expanding out all across the entire globe really and and sort of um, the small territories or smaller wrestling companies were falling by the wayside as they as they got bigger and bigger and we myself and my partner Jerry Jarrett owned a, owned a, one of those small wrestling territories down in Memphis Tennessee and we promoted all throughout the mid south area and uh, you know we felt like the WWF or uh, what turned out to be the WWE was going to just finally gobble us up, but I stuck in there and we 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 maintained and we were able to uh, withstand that big challenge, which is you know really wasn't their intention to do that. It's just what was happening. But anyway, uh, once uh, once we had uh, kind of it took about ten years actually for them to you know for them to uh, finally come around and they they contacted me and said hey we'd like for you to come and be a part of us and plus at the same time still stay in the Memphis and keep our own company running. That was the big, you know, that had been the big uh, stumbling block up until that point. You had to do exclusive work for the WWE or, and nobody else. So, so once they allowed me to do the work with them and keep the Memphis, then everything was clear. And like I said, what, a 23 years later, still, still with them. Yeah. Everything's been great. Going to put you on the spot a little bit. 40 years in the business, proudest moment. Can you, can you name one or a couple? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, so many come to mind. Uh, of course, you know, after so many years of trying, finally winning the AWA World Heavyweight Championship in uh, 1988 from Kurt Henning. Probably uh, one of my proudest accomplishments, though. It's something that a lot of times if they say if it didn't happen in the WWE, it didn't happen. But uh, even the WWE admits and acknowledges that I've won more championships than any other wrestler ever in the history of professional wrestling, over 160 championships in my career. And so uh, that that's a proud moment. And then, of course, the match with Andy Kaufman. That was, to me, something that changed the, uh, the direction of wrestling in general, it went from from wrestling to sports entertainment after after Andy's involvement. And you've been in there with all the greats: Flair, Hogan, Savage. Any particular favorite? Well, I mean, I've I've been in there with you know. The great thing about my career, time-wise, is when I was just getting started in the early early 70s. There were a lot of great stars that had wrestled. I mean, all the way back to the 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s, that were just ending their careers. So I got to wrestle guys like Luthez and 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 uh, you know some of the biggest names ever from the past. And then moving right on up to like you said, the uh, you know the Jack Briscoes, the Harley Races, the uh, Terry and Dory Funk, and then to Nature Boy Ric Flair, and then Hulk Hogan, and uh, I mean all the way up to guys like John Cena and CM Punk. You know, so uh, the career when, whenever you span the 43 years in the business, you've got to wrestle literally just about everybody. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.